Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. So if you're new here, we are in the middle of a series uh, that we're calling Blessed Quest. And so the idea in this series is um, this, this tagline, finding true happiness, right? And so we've talked about this the past few weeks of, of this idea of finding true happiness, not, not the happiness that we talk about in day-to-day life uh, where, where, you know, things happen and they make you feel good and then those things go away and they don't make you feel good anymore. But, but we're talking about that deep-rooted satisfaction in your life, um, certain sort of happiness that, that's almost identical in name uh, to, content, to contentment, right? Uh, something that, that when the, the hurricane comes and wipes everything out, you know, that, that video that you see where the tree is still standing there, unshaken, everything around it destroyed, but the tree is unshaken. Uh, and that's the kind of happiness that we're talking about through these weeks. And, and so uh, we're, we're talking about how there's, you know, there are certain forms of happiness where you go out and you get the promotion at work and, and you feel good until you find out who your new boss is, right? You go out and you buy the new car and it feels good until you get in an accident, right? And then it doesn't feel so good. And, and so we, we look at all these things and we say, well, well, if we're spending so much of our time pursuing happiness, then there's got to be something more to this than just that right? There's, there's got to be a happiness that when life around me comes crashing down, I still stand. That when, when I walk into the deeper waters and there's chaos around me, I can still stand. In the middle of the storm, I can walk out of the boat and step onto the water, right? There's, there's got to be that, that next level of happiness. And, and the good news is, as Christians, we have something unique in this, where, where the rest of the world around us, this isn't an option. But for those who call Christ Savior, it's an option. And, and key into that, it's an option. It's your choice to make. And so Jesus, these past few weeks, we've been breaking down uh, the very first sermon that he ever preaches. And we talked about how this idea of, of this word blessed uh, goes back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who, uh, who is like a tree that is planted firm by the river. So when the water dries up, the tree is still firm. It's still rooted, it still stands. And so Jesus, in his very first sermon, goes through these series of saying, blessed are those who something, right? And, and so he keeps breaking these down. In the first three weeks, uh, Jesus has been, has been driving the point of irony almost. The things that don't quite make sense. The things that are opposite of what we would expect. And so we start out and we, we saw that Jesus said, blessed are the, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the beggars, in other words. And then he moves from there and he says, blessed or happy are those who mourn. Well, that seems weird. <laughs> that, that seems counterintuitive almost. And then last week we looked at Jesus said, blessed are the meek or the ones who are able to remain humble and, and not lash out in situations that may seem like we would think it would call for it. So he's, he's driving these points of almost irony and all of these are culminating up to this moment where we look at what Jesus says today. 
So, so this is something that's a little bit ironic in and of itself, but at the same time, we see that this is, is sort of uh, the response to the last three lessons that we've looked at. And so we start in our text as we have been in Matthew chapter 5. And we'll start back in, in verse 2 and read through this. And Jesus opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Have you ever had a change in seasons in your life, uh, and suddenly you are surrounded by entirely different people than you had ever known? This is familiar to me, in case you didn't know. Uh, have, have you ever found yourself in, in a new season in life where maybe it's a new job and you've got entirely new coworkers? Maybe it is moving to a city and you've got new neighbors. Uh, maybe, maybe it's something wild and, and you knew that you were adopted growing up, but you never knew your parents and you've met that side of your family and you're being exposed to something brand new and you have all these new relationships around you. Have, have you ever found yourself in some sort of new season like that? I, I think most of us have. And I think what most of us would agree on is in these seasons, we found that as we begin to develop new relationships, especially if it's a season that has forced an, an end to former relationships in our lives, as we build these new relationships and as we start connecting with new people, we begin to find that they rub off on us, right? You'll notice I say right all the time after I say things. That's because my wife met somebody who says right all the time. I'm assuming because she started saying it all of a sudden. She says it, now I say it, and I don't know how to stop. And, and so, but this is, this is an effect of new seasons in life. And that somebody comes into my wife, and as simple as just saying right to everything that's said. And, and now I'm saying it because it rubs off on you. You know, when I was growing up, thank you. When I was growing up, uh, I, I had a really good friend in church, and he was about three years older than me. And I mean, this kid, literally every weekend, he was spending the night at my house or I was spending the night at his house. Uh, we were always together. But again, he was about three years older than me. So my parents loved him. But when he started to bring his high school friends into the picture before I was in high school, well, that was a problem. See, I'm allowed to be friends with him, but I'm not allowed to be friends with them. And, and I couldn't comprehend why. I couldn't comprehend what, what the difference was, not understanding that apparently when you get to high school, if you haven't been exposed to anything yet, brace yourself, uh, because high school will make sure that you're exposed to everything, like it or not. And so my parents knew from this. They knew that he had friends that... that this was just everyday life for them, but it were things that I had never been exposed to, and they didn't need that rubbing off on their son. And at that same token, I remember when I was in seminary going to Bible college, and you know, while, while I don't think that, that the education level that I got was the best, and you'll hear me talk about that from time to time, what I will say is I remember so clearly the relationships that I built there 100% made it worth those four years the relationships that I built, to, to literally multiple times a week to surround yourself, not just with regular church people, which is, which is awesome in and of itself, but to surround yourself with people who want nothing in their life that isn't Jesus, who, who are just overwhelmed with a passionate love for Jesus. And you better believe me when I say that started to rub off on me. There, there are a lot of habits that I have in my life that I still attribute to seminary because I found myself in a new season with new friends, uh, new people that I was relying on, and it was people that were always pointing back and saying, Seth, look at Jesus. Seth, focus on Jesus. 
Keep your focus on Jesus. And they didn't even have to say it all the time because I saw their focus on Jesus and it rubbed off on me. And so uh, when, we, when we look at the progression of Jesus' sermon, it lends itself to say this, that, that it's, it's leading up and it's showing us that if we start to surround ourselves in these other things, in meekness, in, in poorness of spirit, in mourning, if we start to surround ourselves in those things, if we allow those to be our new season of life, then what we'll find is the overflow is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. All of these things will sort of culminate together and bring us into a new new season because suddenly you have put yourself in a position that Jesus says, all right, I can work with that. I can, I can run with that. Listen, I mean, Jesus will come in and he'll break things if he has to break things. But if you come in and you're already flexible and ready to go, then Jesus says, all right, let's run with this. If I don't have to break anything moving in, that's a good thing. And so each of these things transforms us to where uh, the hunger of our souls is less focused on us and more focused in becoming like Jesus. The things that we're in pursuit of, the things that we're after, are no longer about us, but they're on Jesus. And so, if you grabbed a bulletin this morning, if you didn't, sorry, some of us have to learn our lessons the hard way. If you did, though, uh, you'll find that there's an extra piece of paper in there with a bunch of blanks on it. Hopefully, you got a pen. Um, If not, some of us have to learn our lessons the hard way. I'm sorry. So... Maybe somebody around you has a pen and will be kind enough to share with you. This is where it helps to sit next week. And so uh, what we're going to go through is we've got all these blanks, and we're going to look at some of the different, we're going to unpack this idea of this hunger for righteousness, what it's like, what it, what it feels like, what it, what it lends itself to. And the first thing that I want you to understand is this, that this hunger for righteousness is real. And so that's your first blank there. This hunger for righteousness is real. There's something distinct about Christianity that sets it apart from any other world religion. There's something that is real about Christianity. There's something that's, that's seemingly tangible about our faith. And if you've pursued Jesus enough, then, then you should know exactly what I'm talking about. That there's something uh, that, that it's, Christianity is not rooted in mysticism alone. Right? There, there are religions out there that everything about them is mysticism. That's not Christianity. There's something real about this. And so before diving into the rest of these, this is what I want you to understand, is that this is a real hunger. It, it's as if there's a marriage of the spiritual and the physical coming together to let you take a supernatural hunger and feel it physically, which if you ask me, is, is mind-blowing that Jesus would work this way in our lives uh, to push us into a position that would just pull us more to him and that, and that would prove that he's after us. And so w- what I'm saying is it's, it's kind of like this, this real hunger for a moment. If, if you think of real hunger, it's a hunger that you feel, right? It's a hunger that, that dictates choices that you have to make. And it's based on something that you feel, and you respond to it. And so what I'm, what I'm saying when I compare our faith and this hunger to each other, and I say that it's real, is kind of like this. If you remember back all the way in the Old Testament, uh, there was this guy named Moses. He was a pretty big deal. And so this guy Moses, um, he, he was the guy who if anybody... Moses. And so Moses goes up on, on Mount Sinai. He's speaking with God. He's been up there for a while. Uh, and comes back down the mountain... And people are staring at him like he's crazy. Something's wrong. And Moses, I mean, he's got no idea what's going on. He, 
why are these people looking at me so weird? And, and I, I imagine for Moses, it had to have been a moment where somebody tells him something, or, or maybe he just goes and he looks in a stream himself, and he sees that something is different. Moses actually writes for us in the book of Exodus, uh, in chapter 36, that, that he had come down from the mountain, and he'd been experiencing God for so long that his face has literal light coming out of it. It says that his face was shining, it was radiant. Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I tell my wife that her skin looks radiant, this is not what I'm talking about. I mean, Moses has like lightsaber eyeballs going on, if you will. He's literal, physical light coming out of his face. And you can imagine the response from the Israelites is, what is going on? But, but understand this, it was a real light. It, it wasn't some spiritual metaphor for something else. It, it wasn't that, that we're taking something and we say, oh, well, this, this, this radiance was uh, symbolic of... Uh, no, it, it was real light that was coming out of his face because of an encounter with God. And so when I say that this hunger is real, it's something that we actually feel. It's something that actually drives us. It's something that actually consumes our being and forces us to make a decision. It's real. And the second one, this hunger is natural. So this hunger is natural. Um, I'll let you write that down. But in Psalm 90, we're told in verses 12 through 14, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So what's unique about this psalm, Psalm 90, if you didn't know, is the only psalm of the 150 that are there. It's the only one that was written by Moses. And if you go back and if you read the beginning of Psalm 90, you'll actually find that Moses wrote this after coming through the waters of the Red Sea. And so what's Moses' response to coming through the Red Sea? Of seeing the goodness of God, of, of watching God just completely work over the Egyptians, of watching God bring them to a sea, and, and Moses has no idea what's going to happen, and God says, Moses, stretch out your arm, and he does, and the waters suddenly split, and there's fish on both sides, and, and I mean, they can walk through, they can touch, they can feel, and they walk through on dry land. Remember, the sand wasn't wet. It said they walked through on dry land. And they walk through. And not only that, but they turn around, they see the Egyptians pursuing them, and like that, the waters come crashing down. And he's watched God deliver himself and his people from the Israelites. And, and what's his response to this? Say, God, how long until you're coming back? Satisfy us. It's, it's as if Moses' natural response to seeing the goodness of God is to want more of the goodness of God. It's a natural thing. The natural response for each of us. I mean, listen, if, if, we, if we just suddenly uh, groundbreak and, and we've got 10 baptisms going on today, what are you guys going to want to see more of? You're going to be like, that was awesome. We want to see more baptisms. We want to see more lives being changed. We want to see more transformation because there is a natural hunger for the righteousness of God. And what's tremendous about this is Moses coming through this, the way that he describes the splitting of the Red Seas. In Moses' own words, he said, I have seen the finger of God. I don't know which finger it was. God was pretty mad at the Egyptians, but I'm not going to guess. Uh, but, but he says, I have seen the finger of God. And it's as if Moses is saying, God, if that's only your finger, then what's your hand? 
What's the arm of God? I mean, you've only shown me, shown me this much. I, the Bible tells us our brain couldn't even handle it. We, it literally says that we would die if we saw the face of God. And yet there's something in us that says, I want nothing more than to see God in his fullness. It's this natural hunger for his righteousness. And, and think about this for a moment for me. Think about the last time that you went on vacation, right? And, and you go on this vacation, um, and, and maybe you remember going up to the lake, and you've got a hammock set up, and you're just, you're relaxing, and uh, you've got a fishing pole, and you've got your beer, I mean soda, because we're Christians, and um, I'm glad somebody laughed. I was worried. Um, and, and, and you're out there fishing, and you're just, you're relaxed, and you're just at peace, and, but there's something Towards the end of that vacation, you say, I can't wait to get home and get in my own what? And get in my... You're on vacation. What are you tired for? What do you want to get in your bed for? But, but this is real to us, right? We go on vacation. We're like, man, I can't wait to go home and get in my own bed. I'm exhausted from this vacation. Like there's something about vacation that makes us need another vacation. But, but here's what it is. Do you know why you're exhausted from this? Because there's something natural going on here. This is normal. All the way back in the book of Genesis, when God creates Adam, sin has not entered. Perfect world. God creates Adam, and he says, work the garden. This is yours to take care of. Rule over the beasts, and I could get into this for for days, but I won't. But the idea, rule over the beasts, is, is nurture them. Take care of them. Nurture the garden. Take care of it. Love my creation and work it. And so there's something natural in us that when we go on a vacation, remember, Sabbath is good, I'm not saying it's not, but when we go on vacation and when we've been resting for too long, there's something about us that's exhausted because our soul is aching for work. There's something natural that just wants the things of God. And this is why Jesus is saying from the beginning, listen, I know how you're wired. I know what makes you tick. I know what makes you move forward. I know what will make you happy. Trust me. Trust me. This hunger for righteousness, work through this. And you'll find yourself satisfied. Sin will lead to laziness, but your soul craves work. And, and on that same note, uh, there's, there's something about our design in this that in, in Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, verses 311. Solomon says uh, that God has put eternity into man's hearts. And, and someone once translated this and said that basically the idea here is that each one of us has a God-shaped void inside of us. And we, we keep trying to put the round peg in the square hole. We, we buy the new car, round peg, square hole. We, we get married, round peg, square hole. Uh, we have kids, round peg, square hole. And we keep getting frustrated that we keep pursuing happiness. And it feels good for a moment, but it leaves us. And, and Solomon is saying, put the square peg in the square hole. The void is God-shaped. He designed your soul, and you're broken. Let him fix it. Let him put the pieces back together. Trust his design. He made you. He knows how you work. And those, so there's something natural about having a supernatural hunger for the righteousness of God. 
This is, this is why we consume ourselves with all these movies and books and video games and everything else that are consumed in a supernatural world, right? We love superhero movies and things like this. And, and I won't give you Avengers spoilers just in case. Most of you probably aren't going to watch it. I'm going to be realistic. But, but you guys will. You'll, you'll probably watch Avengers, maybe. Maybe I'm just too old for that stuff. I don't know. And, and so, so, but there's something about that, that we, we look at something about the supernatural and we hunger for it. We want it. This is natural in us. It's about the way that God designed us where there's supposed to be a marriage between the physical and the supernatural. So this hunger is natural. But this hunger can also be painful. So let me give you a little bit of backstory here. Um, If if you've got your Bibles, you can actually, if you want to throw those over to to Exodus, second book in the Bible, book of Exodus. We're going to be camping out there the rest of this sermon. Uh, But let me give you a little bit of backstory. Moses, uh, he's just kind of minding his own business, and he comes across this bush, and it's on fire, but it's not being burnt. I don't know about you. My curiosity would be piqued. I wouldn't get too close to it because I don't trust things like that. And, uh, but, but he sees it. His curiosity is piqued. And then to make matters more interesting, the bush starts talking to him. And the bush says, hey, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground, dude. That's how God talks. And, and so I don't know about you, but if I'm Moses, I'm, I can't get my shoes off quick enough. Like if a, if a burning bush that's not being burned is talking to me and telling me what to do, I don't know what else it can do. I'm going to listen to it. And, and so Moses takes his, his shoes off. And then the bush goes on from there. And the bush starts telling Moses that, hey, I'm going to send you to rescue my people from, from Egypt. You're going to go, you're going to talk to Pharaoh, and, and you're going to deliver my people. And Moses, as any of us, he has all sorts of questions now. <laughs> all sorts of concerns. And so number one, well, well okay, if, if I'm going to go do that, I'm going to go tell these people that this bush told me to do this, and everybody's going to think that it wasn't a bush, it was some other sort of plant that I was dealing with, and they're going to think I'm crazy, and so who am I going to tell them that sent me? And it's in this moment that Moses finds out that he is talking to God Almighty. And I can imagine his posture suddenly has shifted. And he's, okay, well, um, and and he starts to to give more excuses and everything else, and and we'll actually, we'll look at this. Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. This is this is Moses' response to finding out he's talking to God. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I'm slow of speech and tongue. And then the Lord said to him, this is a fair question, Who has made the man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Have you ever done this? Have you ever argued with God? Maybe, maybe not quite to this extreme. Maybe a little bit more than this extreme. Uh, but have we, we argue with God, right? We, we tell him things and we're like, God, that's, no, I can't. No, listen, there, there are how many billions of people in the world? Like, you have plenty of options, I can do something else. I'm a really good paper pusher. Trust me. Like, I don't need to go on adventures. And, and we start to argue with God. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where this hunger is painful because there's one side that once you've encountered the living God, you see the terror 
that there is in seeing the living God, right? And who am I to argue with the one who can end me in a snap? But at the same time, he's asking me to do terrifying things that I would never choose to do on my own. I mean, let let me tell you guys, I'm an introvert. Public speaking, yeah, public speaking terrifies me. But you know what terrifies me more than public speaking? The public. Like, I mean, if I could just stay at home all day, every day, that's a good day, right? If I don't have to go out and talk to people, that's a good day. It's, it's when I felt God calling me to this, it's almost like, God, are you sure? Like, you got these billions of people to choose from? Like, why don't you just call the extroverts and not me? I mean, I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job, but it sure seems like I have a better idea than you do in this case. And, and, but man, if, if I'm in the Bible, I'm going to tell you, if there's one thing that I don't want written about me in the Bible, are these words right here. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And, and so Moses is in this tension now of dealing with the terror of going and trying to rescue the people of Israel from the clutches of Pharaoh and the terror of the almighty God who says, listen up, you're going to do what I say, like it or not. Figure it out, Moses. But let me ask this. What would have happened had Moses just said no and walked away? What would have happened is Moses, it would have started to eat at him. It it would have started to drive him crazy. It would have kept him up at night. And he would have found that there was a hunger so severe for the things of God that it became painful. He would get to the point where he was painfully hungry for the things of God and he would have a choice to make of either hardening his heart to the things of God or just caving in and saying yes to the things that God is calling him to. And I think that's where a lot of us are is we're being called into deeper waters. We're being called into things that terrify us and and we don't know what to do and we're frustrated because this hunger is eating us alive and we don't know what to do to make it go away when at the same time, yeah, I'm going to tell you, you do know what to do to make it go away. God has made it remarkably clear what you need to do to make it go away. And it's, what do you do when you're hungry? You eat. It's not a trick question. You could have answered that. It's fine. It's fine. You're not going to get easier questions than that, though. I'm sorry. We eat when we're hungry. So what do you do when you have a hunger for the righteousness of God? You eat. You, you do the things that God has called you to do. You press into those things. And listen, he's going to hold your hand through the process. He's not going to leave you high and dry. That's that's why he reveals himself to us as a father. Because he's going to walk every step of the way with you. And and right along the same uh, same, uh, kind of idea, this, this next blank for you, this hunger is a driving force. Because what happens when you get so hungry it's painful? Well, now you've got a decision to make, and you've got a decision to make quick right? This hunger drives you to make a decision. So the hunger is a driving force. Exodus chapter 10, then moving forward in our story, verses 28 and 29 say, then Pharaoh said to Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Okay, hold on. Who said I was worried you guys weren't listening for a second. Moses said, Moses said, 
What did Moses just say to God? God, I'm, listen, I can't, I'm not eloquent in speech. I can't talk, and I, I stutter, and I, I, just, I can't. I don't, and, and God's like, who made your mouth? You can go talk. And Moses continues to argue, and God's like, okay, okay, okay. You have a brother, Aaron, right? Okay, take Aaron with you. You tell him what I said to you. Tell that to Aaron. Aaron will tell it to the Pharaoh, and then you don't have to talk. But you're not getting out of this, Moses. So take Aaron. Aaron can talk for you. But who said? That's, that's not Aaron. Suddenly, this hunger for the things of God has driven Moses into areas of his life that he never thought he would go. Suddenly, he's okay with the things that he never thought he'd be okay with. And here's the big thing here. This is the ninth time Moses has done this. There were ten plagues in Egypt. This was the ninth one. Moses had gone to Pharaoh. He'd spoken with him. He'd confronted him. And he'd allowed his hunger for righteousness to drive him into the things that he never thought he'd be able to do. I think I'm missing a verse somewhere. Here we go. Exodus 11. I lost my notes. <laughs> Exodus 11, verses 1 through 4. And then it says this. This is right after this encounter with Pharaoh. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. Which, I mean, listen, if you don't like talking to people, this may be the best thing Moses could have been told. Just one more Moses. He didn't say he was done after that. He, he was still going to have to lead Israel for years. God didn't tell him that part yet. But, but he heard, just one more, Moses. And he says, speak now in the hearing of the people. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. So as Moses allowed his hunger for righteousness to drive him into the things of God, suddenly things started working. Moses was the one speaking in the hearing of the people. And the people of Israel started to give favor in Egypt. And Moses started to gain favor in the land of Egypt. All of a sudden, Moses had a little bit of wiggle room. He, he had a little bit of authority. He had some sway in his step, right? When he talked to people, they listened. Because he allowed his hunger for righteousness to drive him into those things. Sometimes that hunger may be painful, but I promise you it'll always be worth it. And so the next, this hunger is a sign of health. This hunger is a sign of health. So let me ask you this first. If you were hungry and you eat a meal because you're hungry and then you never get hungry again, what would happen? You would probably go too long without eating and you would start to get sick. Things in your body would, would stop working right. The hunger is important for us. And in the same way, this hunger for righteousness shows us that we're still pressing into good things. We're, we're still moving towards God. Listen, if you're starving for righteousness, that's a different story. If you have starved yourself from righteousness, that's a different story. But if you are remaining hungry for righteousness, that's healthy. And so then Moses again in Exodus chapter 15 Verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. This is right after they've come out of the waters of the Red Sea. They sang to God, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. 
Mm, I, love, I love that song. I love this passage from Moses uh, to see, this is my God and I will praise him. Following seeing all of the things of the Red Sea, again, we see Moses continually praising God, pressing towards him, moving towards him and loving him. And if you follow the life and times of Moses, following even this event, you'll find that as the people begin to walk away from God, Moses' hunger is what directs him and the rest of the nation of Israel back to God. It's that constant hunger that keeps the rest of the the nation of Israel from falling off a cliff and being destroyed like many other nations were in the Old Testament. It's one man's hunger changed a nation. Your individual hunger for righteousness is a sign of health, not just for yourself, but for everyone you have influence over, over family, over kids, grandkids, friends, over, over you know, children and children's church, over whoever you're working with. It's a sign of health, not just for you, but the others around you. And then our last one here, this hunger is intense. This hunger is intense. Exodus chapter 20 Verses 18 through 19 says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but whatever you do, don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Terrified of God, but it was Moses' hunger for the things of God that influenced all of the people around him. That, that in this moment, they said, If anyone's going to go and talk with God, you go and talk to him, Moses. You go and talk to him. It had influenced the rest of the nation around him to know that this was a man of God, that he had this consistent hunger for righteousness. And this is, this is intense, that nobody else wanted to see the face of God, but Moses was so desperate for the things of God that he was ready to go and talk with God. And then in Exodus 32, this one, I didn't highlight in here because I want you to catch this whole thing. This whole thing, because you want to talk about intense. And as soon as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf. So he's coming down from the mountain of God. And he saw the calf, an idol, and the dancing... And Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain, but it gets better. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. I don't want to make Moses mad. Like something about the anger of God kindling against him earlier must have rubbed off because Moses is angry. Because Moses is offended that, that all of the people around him, all, for all of this effort, he doesn't see the same hunger for righteousness in them. This hunger for the righteousness of God is intense. It will draw us into intense things in life. There should be no such thing as a Christian who's not radical about their faith in Jesus, who's willing to step out into the unknown areas, who's willing to do the things that they don't feel comfortable doing, because who created all of these things anyway? The God who's asking me to do it. And listen, when, when I've got my family, my wife, my daughter, the people around me, the church, and, and I've got all of these people, and I'm, I'm pursuing God, I'm, I'm striving to have this hunger for righteousness, and I'm trying to teach it and show you the goodness of this hunger for righteousness, and if I were to come back and see this, 
There's a part of me that gets it for Moses. I get the frustration because you pour so much into wanting other people. When you've seen the goodness of God, there's nothing you want more than for other people to see the goodness of God. And for them to keep turning away, there's something in us that says, no, don't you get it? God is so much better than this. He's so much more than this. I just wish I could show you the same hunger that I've got for him. And so part of being a Christian is is simply allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to, to put ourselves in a position that the Holy Spirit doesn't have to come in and break anything. He doesn't have to come in and start throwing down, but he can just come in and say, this is someone I can work with. We just, let's, let's move these a little bit. Let's shift something here. Let's change this a little bit. And you're so ready to change anyway because you're hungering for the things of God. And, and you recognize, 1 Thessalonians tells us, uh, Paul writes about being sanctified by God, mind, body, and, and spirit. And the idea is, I'm not perfect that means I need to change. I'm not there yet, so I need to change. And so as God comes into my life and says, hey, you need to change, what do you want me to change? Let's do this. Let's go. I am so hungry to be like Jesus that I'm ready for change. And this hunger should be a thing that's so intense that we can't shake it, we can't ignore it, and it drives us into new things. So th- this hunger for righteousness is a real hunger. It's a natural hunger. It can be painful. But it's through that that it's a driving force that will drive us into the next stages of our lives. It shows us whether or not we're healthy in our own spiritual walk. Because listen, if you don't have a hunger for the righteousness of God, there's something else going on that needs to be addressed. And this hunger is intense. So much so, the love of Jesus is intense, is it not? And so how do we see the love of Jesus? By the overflow of it's such an intense love that it flows out from Jesus, pours into us, fills us up, pours into the next person, fills them up, and it just keeps going. And this hunger should drive that same thing, this hunger for righteousness, because here's what's going to happen in the end. I don't, I don't have it up here, but Matthew 5, if we were to go back to that, says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be filled They'll be satisfied. This is, Jesus went to the woman at the well and he said, hey, can I give you some water that if you drink this, you'll never thirst again? We eat and we drink and we eat and we drink and we eat and we drink and we're never satisfied. We always want more. But what God is saying is I have something that will fill you, that will eternally fill you and press into this. And I promise you, it may hurt, it may be painful, it may lead you into things that you don't think that you want but it will fill you. And the end result will be a happiness that the rest of the world is not able to know. Because it's a happiness that can only be found in satisfaction in Jesus. And and here's the thing. If you prayed for more hunger, if you prayed for more passion, if you prayed to, to, to press into God more, you never know what might happen. You just might put yourself in a position where God says, this is someone I can use to change the world. This is someone I can use to bring these people back to me. 
And so, God, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you uh, for, for pressing into us and for giving us this natural hunger for you and for your righteousness, uh, for, for designing us in a way uh, that, that we can't find satisfaction without you, in a way that, that nearly forces us to come to you if we really want to be satisfied. We thank you for, for pursuing our hearts. We thank you for loving in a way that just continues to pour out and pour into us. We, we thank you for your intense love. And what we ask this morning is that as we move forward in our own Christian faith, that we could draw closer to you, that we could love you more, that we could have more of a hunger for you than we have ever known before. And we ask that you would fill us, that you would satisfy us in a way that the rest of the world would look and say, whatever that is, I want that. I want that. Because we know that there is a unique satisfaction that can only be found in you and that your desire is for the whole world to have that, and that you have, have lovingly called us to be the instruments in which you accomplish that. And so we pray exactly that, God. We pray that we could be your instruments, that you could use us, that you would pour into us, and that you would gift us in a way that we could just be a part of bringing your kingdom uh, to fullness in this world. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.